0: God's grace, his mercy, his peace, they are yours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came once to redeem the world from sin who will come again to judge and finalize that redemption. Amen. I can remember 26... 8th graders, including myself, sitting in the basement of Trinity Waukesha in their cafeteria area area lined up, and a microphone was being passed down as it was examination before confirmation. And the kid next to me, it landed on him, Billy Glazer, and I remember vividly he had to recite the Old Testament books, of the Bible, and I knew this was going to be a struggle for him. And he was making his way through and he was making tracks and I could see his mom was mouthing the next one and the next one to help him along. He was watching her closely. And then you get to those last books. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Malachi. Finally, a breath of relief, he got through the Old Testament books and those ones that are hard to spell, those names we don't know a lot about, these minor prophets that were sent to God's people in a hard time. It was after captivity and return and it was back and it was forth and messages that were tough. And after God spoke through Malachi to his people, 300 years of silence. That's like the biggest curse God could give to his people is to just be quiet. And yet God said, this is what I give to you. And, and then he spoke again as we get to the New Testament. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. And, and Malachi's message to God's people at that time, it was a tough message. There are probably other names that you remember more as we use big names to get us through God's history. You know, the name you maybe think of, this is 2,000 years BC. This is before Christ, uh, like Abraham, when God called him out to, to go to the land of Canaan. And this would be the area that he would later bring his people. And, and then because of famine was taken on to Egypt and after his kids and Joseph and in the land of Egypt. And they kind of forgot about who this nation was. And they brought him into captivity and then God Moses was born 1500 ish and, and then he was raised up by God to rescue his people out of Egypt and go go back to the promised land and, and then maybe uh, about a thousand ish David who was the man of, of God's heart that King David who wrote a lot of the Psalms and, and, and was the one who raised this nation up and expanded the borders and captured the holy land and and put away all the, the that would be needed to build the temple as Solomon his son would build the temple to the lord it was the highlight of, of the nation at the time and then about 600 BC the nation of Judah was was carried off into captivity by by like 500 ish everything was just annihilated babylon had come and and taken god's people away and now we're at a time when when god kept his promise that he would bring back a remnant from captivity and he would bring them back to to again establish his kingdom and 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 build the temple and through this remnant god would deliver the world savior and you'd think, why did I go through all this world history and then and, and all the Old Testament and just these sweeping bold strokes? Well, you'd think after all the times that God made his promises clear and he said, do this and I will do this. It was very clear. And God would bless when they followed and God would curse when they didn't. That after this, this last time when he carried them away and he brought back this remnant, you'd think they'd say, got it. They would learn from history and they would say, okay, we understand when we rebel, you, you repay with justice. And it's desert. And so now we're going to come in exactly what you say we will do. That, okay, we build the temple, we build it. But they didn't. That you, you rescue us from, the, from the, the captors and bring us back and give us this autonomy and you're going to bless your people. But we didn't feel very blessed and so we complained and we worried about our own houses and we did things in the wrong order. Here's, here's an example. God said, don't marry among the other people. They're, they're godless. They will bring their religion into, into your house and, and, but the women are beautiful. Come on. And, and so I, can, I can't have my trophy wife at the end of life. That would be a good thing. And so I push aside, I push aside the woman of my youth because, oh, God says no. I hate that you do these things. But let's let Malachi deal with this. It, it, it reads kind of like a playwright where, where God speaks, he answers for his people, and then tells them what is going on. And it, and it starts like this. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have I loved you? I brought you out of captivity. I've given you a purpose and a name. You are my people. And, and yet you don't show love in return. How have you loved us, he says, because I have given you a purpose here on this earth that from you will come the world's Savior. Can't you see the joy in that? But then the people did not show love back. In fact, this is what he, the Lord says. You don't show me the respect you show your own father. You don't give me even that kind of respect. I'm, I'm God, and you don't give me the respect that you would give your own dad. You, have, you know in, in the father's house you disrespect him. There's going to be recourse. And Well, how haven't we given you respect? Well, you don't give me your best. That's the problem. You don't give me your best. You're so worried about the stuff for yourself, your own homes, and these things. And, and, and so you put me as, as, as second best, or third best, or you only remember me in moments. And then, and then it says, will you rob God, is what he's saying. You, you, you go to church, but, but in this, this, this worship of God, whether it's in attendance, or bringing your tithes, or your offerings, here's how it goes. Why can't I just bring the thing that's got a broken leg or that has spots or the things that I don't want to breed? What's the big deal? It's going to get burned up anyways. Why do I have to give you the best that I want to use for my flock and, and breeding in my flock so that I can have a better flock? Don't you want me that for me, dear father? Or he says, bring in the tithe. Bring in your best. Bring in the first to me. And I will bless you when you do this, but why, why so much? Why the first? <laughs> God, and, and he even connects a promise. He says, when you do this, when you do this, I will unleash blessing upon you because I have my finger on that treasure chest in heaven and it will rain down on you. Trust me in this. But, but really? Maybe to, to make it more applicable to us today, imagine if your parent comes and gives, gives the child, gives to you as that child, a hundred bucks and says, here, and it's all you have. Now use this as a blessing to yourself and to others, okay? Here's $100, and immediately in your mind you think, oh my goodness, I want to have this video game, or oh my goodness, I want to have those clothes. And so off you go, spending and getting and playing and, and rejoicing, and then, then two days later is, is, your, is your parents' birthday. And then you think, oh man, I better do something for them too. And you look in your pocket, and what's left? 18 cents in chapstick and some lint. That's all that's left of the hundred dollars. And you think, well, it's what I got, and so I will give this to them to show honor to my parent. Is that really thinking? And to show honor? God says, I give you everything you have, all that you have, your abilities. And I say, honor me in this. Bring it to me first, show love to me. I'm not saying all of it. Just the first of it, the best of it. And, And then it says, God says, you have said harsh things against me. What have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve the Lord. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements? all these religious and ceremonial and dietary things that God tells us to carry out. The unbelievers don't do that, and they're doing just fine. They're bringing in crops. Their life is rocking it. And we're, we're sitting here saying first to God, and then we got to have all these regulations. we got to follow all these things and give up a whole day of work so that we can just ponder God. It just doesn't seem to make sense when I could be doing so much more. Wouldn't God want that for me? that I could gain that much more, and I can use more for him then because I gained more. It all makes sense. And God looks and, and he laments. Why did I spend so much time in the message of Malachi? I, just, I have to ask, this was very direct to Jews in the day, but has this conversation ever been played out with you involved? Do you sense it? Do you sense here today that you can say, as you stand before your God in his house, that my best is yours, God. It's, it's where my heart is. It's, it's what I long to do. It's, it's why I exist, because I exist for you. Is, is, that, is that our heartbeat? Can we even accomplish that? I mean, was this the most exciting day of your week? Or were you so excited to come and be the house of the Lord? Or was it to sing, the, to hear the kids sing, which is great, which is great. But was it, was it God that gave me that heartbeat? Am I more excited about 325 kickoff than I am about singing praises to God? And it's not like these things are wrong, but, but what does your heartbeat say? What is it that, that gets you excited? you look at God's morality and say, that's good on Sundays or when I'm hanging out with my family, but when I'm with my friends or I'm out there in the world, it's a different morality that kicks in. Is that what we do? Why does God have to be so strict why does God have to give us these regulations and, and then to, to offer these, these, this message like this? Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evil doer will be stubble. And that day is coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. That doesn't sound like a loving God. Satan trumpets. And the world says, "How could you believe in a God that would come and destroy innocent people, as if they understand the definition of innocence?" And yet, God comes with such warning and says, "The arrogant, and the evildoer." And we push it away because we think evildoers—they're the people that show up in the paper. They're the people we look at next door who says, "Good grief, how many times the cops going to come to their house?" They're the evildoers. And the arrogant, I know those people. It's the athlete that's so full of himself that just makes you want to go, trade them, right? It's the Hollywood star that just talks about how grandiose their life is and, and then will judge your morality and your life and condemn you for what you do and don't do. You just want to spit them out. It's the politician that thinks that, that he can say this and say that because a couple people voted to him more than didn't and And now he has say in my life, arrogance. That power was given to you. It's not yours. Those are the arrogant people. The the person that takes more selfies and doesn't know how to turn around the camera and look at life around them and take some pictures of the things outside of themselves. So arrogant. But arrogance is, is really when you stand before God, someone that is told you're doing something wrong and you say, meh. Arrogance is being told that you have really messed up and you have every excuse to explain it away. Arrogance is sitting before God and explain to him that you've actually given him your best when you know in your heart of your hearts you haven't. And then you expect God in the end to just follow through on his promises when you don't even come close to anything he expects of you. (laughs) And what does Malachi do? He, He says, how can anyone stand on that day? And I wonder if Malachi is looking in his own mirror and wondering himself as he's speaking for God. How can anyone stand on that day? But you see, God does come with firm words about burning and furnaces and fire, and it's not just like burning a field because you want to get rid of the weeds. It's talking about annihilation. It's talking about all that is wrong, all that is evil will be Annihilated, gotten rid of. That, that God is going to come and it's going to be people and it's going to be things. Anything that sin has touched that is under God's judgment is going to be judged. And then, and then he gives us this countdown that most of what Jesus was going to accomplish here is now done. He's back in heaven. And so it's like the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, we don't know when three is coming or, or two or one, but it is, it is coming. We're in the midst of the countdown. I can't predict it. I don't know. Don't ask me. Many do. I can't give you the exact time, but it's going to happen. And who will stand? It's going to be very different on that day unless you know the right information, unless you know what God has said. His judgment is for sure. But the same God that's going to come and judge is the same God that comes with these these words that are just so beautiful they have to ring in your ears in contrast to the the just daisy-cutting everything that is wrong. God says this, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. That's... A pretty amazing truth. I I know that daylight savings. My body clock, I don't know about you, I was up at like 520 this morning because to sleep in, it's not the alarm that wakes me. And and so I got up in the same darkness that I was lamenting for the last weeks. When you get up in the morning, you're like, come on, son, let's see it happen, right? And and maybe you got your cup of coffee and you were used to the sun rising, and then finally, when you see it coming over the horizon, you're like, Finally. I don't have to rely on the lights in the house, and I can get the light come in the windows. And it's kind of a beautiful thing when you think about it. Maybe it's colors of, of red or, or yellow coming on the horizon. If you're an early riser, it's a beautiful thing to see. And what is the, what is the expectation we have every day that the sun is going to rise, right? I mean, unless you're living in Alaska during that, you know, 23 hours of dreaded darkness, right? But still, you get the hour of, of light. And now that beautiful image of light coming and, and taking away the darkness and all that was blind to the eye is now allowed to be seen, that's really what happens. The cloud of God's judgment and all sin is the darkness that, that is this thick darkness, right? That just, it, it affects us. It's upon us, and it affects us emotionally and physically, and and especially spiritually. And yet, he says the sun is going to rise, and and its rays is going to be healing. That Jesus is the righteousness that God has promised, and He will come. And it's going to be the righteousness that we now have by faith in Him. The righteousness He delivers to us in our hearts. What God demands Jesus accomplished and it's yours. So you can stand before God with faith in your heart believing in Jesus that not only is the righteousness, the good life that God demands yours, but the punishment that's deserved, that's been taken away too. That was put into Jesus' body so you'll never have to experience it. And so we can stand with eager anticipation with coffee in a cup in our hand waiting for the sun to rise and it will comets already starting to peak and then the darkness will be gone and there will be nothing but but light and it will be beautiful and it will be awesome. The vision here is kind of agrarian that that uh, you'll go out like well-fed calves that are frolicking and, and instead of the sickly calf that can't get even get on its own two feet, you'll be the one that stands discovering its legs and well-fed out and hopping in, in almost this just weird way seeing this thing being happy and, and discovering that it can move and it can jump around. That's a, that's a beautiful picture. Maybe the image I have that maybe is more parent and child or human is I always think, of of just the the young child when they're told they're going to their favorite place and they are just going nuts. They spin around arms up in the air and they think this is the best thing that could ever happen or or in our household it was like after bath time and and they were put pajamas on and they go running down the hallway because they're set free from the towel and and they run back and forth and they're so excited and smiling and you can chase after them and they chase you away. It's just this, this joy that exudes and you can see it. It's legs that work. It's a body that functions. It's joy And the heart, and and God says, This is going to be the joy that's unleashed in you with the body resurrected that you have. And the focus that is now hidden will be complete. And the Savior, that is that sun that rises, and you'll squint for a moment until your eyes adjust. And there you will be in the presence of your Savior with all that is good, with all that He has promised. And joy that you cannot experience now because sin prevents it will be joy that you will experience that does not end. It will make you so complete in body, mind, and spirit that an eternity will not be too long to enjoy it. And that's what Jesus has planned, and it's a far different outcome for those who revere the name of the Lord on the day when he comes. So the warning remains in these final words. And they seem kind of severe, and, and maybe in the eyes and ears of those back in those days, when a conquering nation came, they would trample and burn and destroy their enemy, annihilate them. And, and so God speaks, Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act," said the Lord Almighty. And why does he say such words? Because there is a danger that is very real that we in this life envy those that are outside of the faith because it seems as if in this life there is joy in their hearts that we can't afford. That there are things that they get to experience unhindered that we think would be fun to experience too and it courts us. It makes us think that the things we can hold in our hands and earn with the sweat of our brow and that we can amass are so important and many times we leave God behind not only in our offerings and gifts and following his regulations but our heart leaves him behind because it's what makes us happiest now. And he says, Why would you spend time longing for and working towards things that will be ashes in the end? These things and the people that mock you now will be the things that become ashes in the end. You will walk along, but your eyes won't be looking down. They will be looking up at the Lamb who has come. So, one last time we're going to review it. Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, right? Those minor prophets in the Bible. And then God was silent until God sent his son in the flesh. And Malachi has harsh words that need to be heard even in a day like today in the world that we live in. The day is coming and it's coming soon. And God will come with judgment, but, but the one who is judged is also our Savior. And he comes not to judge, but those who revere his name, he comes to bring joy that's that's what God will bring to you. A joy that will be complete and be whole, and will be a part of everyone that He has gathered, and it will not end. Come, Lord Jesus, soon. Amen. Please stand. Now may the peace of God which passes our understanding move our hearts and our minds to listen to the words of Jesus who is the judge and also our Savior. And on that day, those who revere his name will be found in such joy. Amen. I invite you to open your mouths and and confess what's in your hearts along with the words of the Apostles' Creed.